Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Practicing my Spanish. Good morning. It is good to be here. It's good to be in the house of God always, right? It sure is. Um, I'll invite you to open up your Bible, the Word of God, to Romans chapter 3. We, 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 we're not going to waste any time. Amen? Romans chapter 3. But let, let, let me, let's bow in prayer first, and, and we'll, we'll continue. Oh, blessed Father, thank you so much again for this opportunity. For this opportunity to preach the word. As unworthy as I am, I thank you so much for this privilege. Uh, that it may be a, a word of edification for your, for your church. We all need it, Lord. We need it. Help us. May your Holy Spirit guide us in every word that we say. And that we just may not be hearers of the words, but doers, doers of the word. Help us. Help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 3. Um, well, let me start. Uh, uh, Pastor Dan gave me, uh, we're, we're on the series, uh, the staycation series, right? And he gave me the verses and the, and the text to preach on. But he also gave me the liberty to preach other things that I thought would be okay. Um, so I took that liberty. <laughs> uh, and, and I confess, I, I, got, I got ready. Uh, as, as he told me the, the text, I, I, I prepared myself and I said, okay, I, I got it. Um, but as I, uh, as I one, of, one of my favorite books is the books of Romans. And as I, as I was studying, and as I talked to people, not just people in the church, but people outside, some people outside know that I'm a pastor, some, some hear that I'm a pastor, they ask me, uh, they ask me, you know, certain things, and, and I say, yes, I, I'm a pastor. Uh, and my question to them at times, as we speak, are you a Christian? And, 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 and for the most part, it's in the affirmative. Yes, I'm a Christian. And a lot of people claim to be Christians. As a matter of fact, uh, it, it has dwindled. The number has dwindled. Uh, but it was said that a few years ago, it was 75%. 75% of people here in the United States said that they were Christians. If you go around in, in, in Brazil, they say it's 90% today. Do you think that is true? You see, the thing is that a lot of people claim, a lot of people claim uh, to be Christians. And as I ask the people, oh, are you a Christian too? And they say, yes, yes, I'm a Christian too. And, and, and uh, the next question that comes, uh, it gets a little bit tricky on the next question you ask. Are you a Christian? Yes. Okay. What makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian? What is it that makes you a Christian? How are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Now, that's three, that's three questions, but it also, it's only one, right? And when we look at that, when we ask those things, and when we look at that, we see that there's, there's a couple of obstacles there. There's a couple of obstacles there. It's the obstacle, the, the obstacle of tradition and the obstacle of theology. On the obstacle of tradition, 
uh, we have this idea in our in our culture that you know so it's that is that thing that, that that we go through that process we go through processes right uh, people come forward uh, people raise their hand, people raise their hand, they come forward, they make that profession of faith, right? They get baptized, they get baptized, they do all of that. And then there's a list of things that they do, and there's a list of things that they, they don't do, right? Right? Yes, that is, that is what happens. And so from their traditional perspective, when we, when we ask, are you a Christian? They say, yes, yes. Because I walked the aisle, I walked the aisle, I was baptized, and I stopped doing A, B, C, or D. But the reality or the fact of that is that hell is going to be full of people that make that claim. If you read Matthew chapter 23, that's what the Lord tells us. That's the perspective from, from, from tradition. From the perspective of, 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 the, of, of, of uh, that's the traditional barrier. Now from the, from the obstacle of theology, uh, we have this problem. Uh, that in the Bible we have four major, major uh, um, themes, if you will, uh, that the Bible gives us. And it uses it to relation to, to the doctrine of salvation. Uh, the four major themes are, uh, uh, there's the idea of marriage. It gives us that idea of marriage. It gives us th that idea of redemption from slavery. The idea of adoption and family. Uh, uh, the, the idea of, of uh, punishment, guilt and punishment. Those are the four major themes uh, and, 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 and um, um, uh, metaphors that it gives us, right? And it gives us these different pictures and what it is to be a Christian, now, the problem comes when we take one of these metaphors or one of these ideas and we make it to be that, that that is the only understanding of what is to be a Christian. And it becomes a problem. For example, the person who, who takes the, the, that, that idea of love and marriage, that, that metaphor of, of love and marriage, all of a sudden, when we start talking about the wrath of God, when we start talking about the holiness of God, it just doesn't ring through true to them. Because it's all about grace. It's all about love. And whenever we talk about the wrath of God, that God is angry at the sinner, it just doesn't, it just, just doesn't ring true. Because they only have held on to that, that one metaphor. Another problem of that, that uh, uh, theology uh, obstacle is that the Bible gives us these metaphors. It gives us these metaphors from a, 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 a culture from the Bible. And what we do, we take these metaphors, like the metaphor of, 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 of adoption, and we take that metaphor to our culture. So we say, okay, it's adoption right? Because it's talking about, the Bible tells us about adoption. So we adopt it to our culture and we say, well, now I know what it is. But when in reality, we don't know what it is because it's not the same culture. So then we have an understanding of salvation that is not according to the word of God. It's not according to the Bible. You understand? Amen. And from that, we make a, 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 a we, we, we sort of a, um, 
we sort of redefine the doctrines that the, the, the Word of God gives us. So it is important, my brothers and sisters, to understand clearly from the Bible perspective what salvation means. What salvation means. Now, there's many things that, there's many, and, and I was thinking how, how to bring this in, in different ways. Uh, uh, so many messages we could bring on the, 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 uh, the doctrine of salvation. So many, right? Which I just gave you four, four metaphors, but we could go on. Uh, the truth of the matter is that this mystery of our salvation, of our great and awesome salvation, listen, we will be in eternity. We will be in eternity trying to understand this mystery of our salvation, and we will not exhaust it because it is a great mystery, this awesome salvation that we have. And so for this morning, just this morning, we're going to look at sin and salvation, what sin means, uh, what sin means in salvation and what salvation and, and sin, uh, uh, what relation they have one, in one another. Because it's interesting when you ask people, are you saved? And they tell you, yes, yes, I am saved. Uh, but, but then we ask, what are you saved from? What are you saved from? And normally the, the, the answer that they give you, what are they saved from? We are saved from hell. That's the normal uh, answer they give you. Well, it is. But that would be just fire insurance, right? That would just be fire insurance that he saves us from hell. <clears throat> but when we ask that question, right, what, what does that mean that you, you're safe from hell? Uh, mostly all the time they don't know what, really mean, what it really means. And ultimately, if you press, if you press the, the, that question or you press the point, I could tell you that we are saved from God. Let me repeat that. We are saved from God. And that's why our Lord tells us in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who, killed, who could kill the body, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul, soul and body in hell. You know who that him is? That is God. That is God. You see, our God is holy. Our God is righteous. Our God is just. And I know sometimes, listen, I know sometimes we don't like to hear this about God. But the author of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. There is no, there is no shadow of turning in our, in our God. Our God, our God repels sin and wickedness like light repels darkness. It's a matter of fact, just by nature, light is just the... By nature itself, uh, light does that by its very nature, right? It repels darkness. And it is the same thing with our God. It is the same thing with our God and His holiness. Uh, it ju they, just repels, they just repel His righteousness. It just repels sin. And the truth is that we somehow know this, right? And I'll tell you how we know this. When we use that phrase, it's just not fair. You get that? It's just not fair. You know why? Because sometimes we see things, we see, we see something that happens and we feel like justice, justice should be served, right? Or they do something to us and they say, you say, justice should be served. Justice should be dispersed against that person or individual. 
And listen, at the moment we say that, we actually have, actually have admitted the fact that we know that sin deserves punishment. It deserves the wrath of God, right? Yes, we do. Whenever we say it's not fair, we want that punishment. We want justice to be done. Absolutely. But the problem with that is that today is that person. Yesterday was you and me. You get that? Today is that person, but yesterday was me and you. And we almost never call upon the wrath of God in relation to our sin. Amen? No, we never do. We want justice over there, but, you know, what, we, what we're looking for here is mercy. We're always looking for mercy, but justice over there. That's how we are. Human tendency. Somebody else does something, and we say, and this is what we say. Somebody else does something, we say, there's times that we, we see in the news, we see something that happens in a drastic way, and we said, how can God let them get away with that? How can God let them get away with that? Right? <clears throat> I can't believe, we say, I can't believe God let them get away with that. How can God allow that? And we, 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 we sin, and again, well, when we sin, we want mercy. <laughs> see, not the justice of God. We want mercy. And so listen, failure to see sin is failure to see Christ. Failure to understand, the, and, and, and failure to see sin is failure to see Christ. Failure to understand the gospel. And here, this is my brothers and sisters. The gospel is not a message for people who are doing okay and they need a little better. They're okay, and they need a little better. The gospel is not a message for people whose lives are not working the way they should be working, and they just want a little better life. Um, a lot of popular preachers would tell us that. The message of the gospel is a message of Christ, of Christ's victory over sin. Christ's victory over sin. Isaiah, Isaiah tells us this. We are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Beautiful. 1 John 4, 9, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God is manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, this is an important word, to be a propitiation for our sins. You know what propitiation means? I'll tell you what propitiation means. That's a Sunday word. Propitiation for our sins means that Christ satisfies satisfy God's wrath on behalf of sinners. You get that? That's important. That's important. And so if we, if, if we lose the idea of sin and sinfulness, we lose the idea of salvation, the meaning of salvation. Christ died, died for sin once and for all, the just for the unjust, in order so that, that he might bring the sinners back to God. And that's so important. Right? Colossians 2, 13, 13 to, uh, to 15. And, and this is, these are beautiful passages. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and, and in the in circumcision of your, of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. With his legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, this is the work, this is the work of Christ, saving us from our sins. Amen. And so if we are going to, to have the right understanding of salvation, we have to have the right understanding of what sin is. Of what sin is. And so with that in mind, let's go to our passage. Romans chapter 3. This is a beautiful passage. Beginning at verse 9. What then? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For, for we have already charged that all, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their, path, in their paths are ruin, ruin and misery. And, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a beautiful passage. Because sometimes we think about that when we read this and we say, oh yeah, there's the outside. No, that's God's, that, that's God's indictment on all of humanity, including you and including me. That's God's view on all humanity. And that's why it's important, this passage. And, and as we could see, this is a very dreadful picture, right, of the depravity of man, verses 9. Actually, verses 9 through 20 gives us the, the whole God view of man. And it is a, a very dreadful picture. It's a very dreadful picture that we must understand. Because, again, in order to understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news. There's good news. And there's bad news. But in order to understand the good news, we got to understand the bad news. How bad that bad news is. And we're going to start with this. <clears throat> that the bad news is, is that the, it, it's the universality. It, it just almost didn't come out. The universality of sin. Sin is universal. It covers us all. Look at the first two verses again. Uh, <clears throat> verse 9, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And not only that, but listen, but no one is righteous. None, no one is righteous. No, not one. In fact, it gives us here five times, five times it gives us that, that no one or not, not one is used in this section just alone right here. Just because Paul, he wants to drive that point home. None is righteous. No, not one. Not, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They become worthless. Do you see it? No one does good. Not even one. And the idea here is that it's universal. It's everyone. It's all people. 
And if we continue, if we continue on, we'll see in verse 23. You know what verse? It's a very popular verse. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That means everyone. And the thing is, my brothers and sisters, is that we, 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 tend, to, uh, we tend to believe the world is divided into, uh, into saints and, and sinners, or sinners and saints. And, that, and that, that division is natural. That there are some people who are sinful, and then there's others that are they're pretty good. They're pretty good. They are not, right? And because we believe this, our hearts are actually, they actually turn towards certain people believing that they don't need the gospel. That they don't need the gospel. And we turn to think towards other ones that, that we say, well, they definitely need, they definitely need the Lord. They not definitely need God. See, when we see people sometimes, right, and when we have said this, we, we see people that are drowning in their addictions. We see people that are alcoholics. We see people on the street. And what do we say? Come on, we all have said well, they need the Lord, they need Christ. But when we look at the when we look at the, the the nice lady across the street and the sweetest lady, she's old, she's kind, she's generous, she's giving. We see the family, that that perfect family, that husband, the hardworking husband. He's a good father. He's a good husband. He, she's a good wife. They have it all. They're giving, they're generous, and we tend to think they are okay. They're all good. The only ones that need the gospel are those who are in the gutter. But you know what? That old lady, that precious old lady, and that family, they're on their way to hell because they don't know Christ. And they don't have the pardon of their sins. But we don't tend to think that. We tend to think that it's just other people, that those very, very bad people, right? We don't want to believe that. <clears throat> and we think sometimes that hell is, is for just certain notorious, notorious sinners, you know, some very bad sinners, and, and that uh, uh, you have to reach that threshold of badness. Uh, in order for them to get there to, to, to hell. But Paul, Paul tells us otherwise. Paul has news for us. He says, all people fail the righteousness test. All people fail the righteousness test. No one is righteous. And when he says that, listen, because if you read, that's how Paul writes this, uh, this letter. When he says that, he knows what we're thinking. He knows what the reader is thinking. He knows what you're thinking. And that's when you're thinking of, just thinking about that, he comes and he says, no, no one, there is not one righteous, not even that old sweet old lady out there across the street. Not even her. Not even her. <clears throat> and he says, no, not one. Every human being is born in sin. Every human being is born in sin. And listen, I know we don't like to hear this sometimes, but everyone is an enemy of a holy God. Everyone is an enemy of a holy one. Everyone. Now I know Pastor Dan was talking last week, right? You guys remember the message of last week? And this is a test. This is a test for you guys. See if you guys were paying attention. Because again, there's times that I could see you guys. You guys are all looking at me. But I don't know if your minds are here. Some of you are wondering. Some of you are going, I don't know where you are. Right? 
But I often tell my, uh, the Spanish congregation that, you know, sometimes I say, do you remember what, you remember last, last week, what did we preach on? And sometimes they're just looking at me like a deer. <laughs> right? So this is, this is a quiz. You remember what the Pastor Dan preached about last, last week? <laughs> yes. He, he preached about the, 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 uh, the, uh, uh, the children. Remember? Let the children come to me, as Christ was saying. Uh, and he was preaching about having that child, that childlike faith. Remember? Remember? That's what he preached on, the childlike faith. Right? But that's another thing. That's another thing. Because I know, I know people say, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Kids, I, the last time we were presenting some kids here, right? And, 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 and we see kids and, and we see children like that, and they're so cute, right? You just want to squeeze them and you just, uh, you know, you just want to hug them. They're so cute. And we say, they're such an angel. They're such angels. They're so innocent. Well, let me tell you, they are not. They are not. I will put it to you as a preacher said, they're vipers in diapers. <laughs> they're vipers on diapers. And God made them so cute and cuddly so we won't kill them. But he also made them so little and tiny so they won't kill us. Have you ever seen a baby going on a stiff neck thingy? They want something. The baby does not care that the mother didn't get any sleep that night. Baby doesn't care. He just wants milk, and he wants it now. And the baby doesn't care if he wakes up the whole neighborhood. He wants it now. You know what that is? That is the nature of sin. Selfishness. We almost don't have to teach our kids everything. Oh, we have to teach almost our kid, uh, kids everything. And we say, and the reason why I say almost, the reason why I said almost is because sin, we don't have to teach them. Sin, we don't have to teach them. We have to teach them how to read, but we don't have to teach them how to lie. Right? We don't have to teach them how to be selfish. That just happens naturally. That just happens naturally. <clears throat> you know why? Paul tells us why. Paul tells us why. <clears throat> he tells us no one is righteous, not even one, not, not even those little ones. And I want, I want you to listen to this from the, uh, from, I hope you know that we have a, a confession, the Baptist Confession of Faith. <clears throat> Baptist Confession of Faith says this, uh, says this. They, Adam and Eve, being, being the root and by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind. The guilt of the, guilt of the sin was imputed and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them by ordinary generation. That, that term, ordinary generation, is very important. Being now conceived in sin and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all of their misery, spiritual, temporal, and, e and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. You get that? You get that, right? 
That is so true. We are born in sin. We are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Now that phrase, and I got to say it to you, that the ordinary generations is extremely important. Because that's the reason if some people, and, I, and I've, I've read, I've read some people uh, want to go against the, uh, the, the virgin birth, birth of Jesus Christ. But that is the re- this is the reason why, uh, why the, the, virgin, uh, 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 the virtue of the virgin birth is so important that Christ had to be born that way. Uh, and and, and that, the, the reason why was because in order for him to be born, of, uh, so he would not be born of ordinary gen- uh, uh, generations, like I tell you. Because if he would have been born of ordinary gener- uh, generation, he would, have, he, he would have inherited that sin from Adam, right? But being born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was not conceived in sin. He was not conceived in sin, and therefore free from all sin, free from all sin. However, that little baby, that sweet little lady across the street, that beautiful family not so not so they're all were conceived in sin just like you and me just like you and me we were all like that all of us born in sin and we all failed the righteousness test all human beings failed the righteousness test and not only do they fail the righteousness test but we all failed the understanding test Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. No one understands. No one is righteous. And no one understands. So we don't pass. We don't pass uh, that, that the righteousness test because we don't have the essence of righteousness. We don't have na- the nature of righteousness. Nor do, we, nor do we pass the understanding test because we don't have the necessary righteousness to understand the righteousness of God. Or to be righteous before God rather. And furthermore, not only do we pass that we don't pass the, the righteousness test and the understanding test, <clears throat> we don't pass or we fail the pursuit of God test, because that's what it tells us. Now you would think that if I don't have the righteousness and I'm born unrighteous, as all people are, and I don't have the understanding. Well, something in me should realize that, that I don't have the understanding and that I, I don't possess the, the, the righteousness. And something inside of me would seek after that in order for me to gain righteousness, right? Right? And you know what? Some people think that. Some people do think that. You ever talk to people sometimes and they, say, they tell you, oh, yeah, I'm searching. I'm searching for God. I'm searching. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. And there, there was this other popular uh, preacher that, that said that he visited uh, India, and he says they're all searching for God. They're all searching for God in their own way. But what Paul tells us, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. And that word worthless, is, is, it was used for spoiled milk. Brothers and sisters, we are rotten to the core. All of us, all human beings are rotten to the core. We all are sinners. We all fail the righteousness test. All men fail the righteousness test. All men fail the understanding test. And all men fail the seeking for God test. And again, this is the bad news. And it sounds bad, right? 
Yes, it does. I know it does. As I was studying it, it was just hitting me home. I'm a ruined sinner. Yes, we are. Every one of us are, is. And yes, <clears throat> we all are born in sin under we all are born in sin under the federal headship of Adam. And we all are enemies of God because of the nature of that sin that we inherited. So all people fail the, the, the good works test too. He says no one does good. No one does good. Not even one. So you see, we all fail that righteousness test. We're, we're born without it. We failed the, the understanding test. Uh, there's no, there, there's, there's no, no hope for us attaining righteousness. And we help the seeking for God test too. And this is, the pro this is a, a problem because God is, is the only source of righteousness. He is the only source. And so we fail the good works test too because no one does good. No one does good. Now I know that we all know people. We all know people like that old lady, right? We all know people like that old lady. And, and, and I, 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 I'll tell you of my father-in-law. When I first met my father-in-law, um, he was not a Christian. He was not a Christian. I met my father-in-law. But when you talked to him and when you saw his life, you thought, man, that guy acts just like a Christian. He talks just like a Christian. So if you would look at him and if you would talk to him, you would think, this guy is a Christian, but not so. Now, I tell you, by the grace of God, he came to Christ, and he's rejoicing in heaven right now. But at that particular time, no. At that particular time, he acted like one. He talked like one, right? He was always helping someone, right? So you would think that would be good stuff, right? But listen to this. In order for something to be good, it has to be done. It has to be the right thing done the right way for the right reason. You get that? In order for something to be good, it has to be the right thing done the right way for the right reason. Now, what is the only reason? What is the, what is the only right reason that it should be done? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. So you see, here's the problem. Even if I do something that appears good, since I have failed the righteousness test, and I have failed the understanding test, and if I fail the seeking after God test, how then can I do the right thing, the right way for the, for the right reason? I can't. I just can't. When the only reason is the glory of God, in which I can't seek because I don't have the understanding. I fail all of those tests. And so I might be a good person. I might, be, I might do good deeds. And you see people like that. But what is their goal? What is their goal? When I do those things, is it for you to think good of me? Is it my reputation? Most of us are that way, right? Most people are that way. And so we, we might see people that are do good deeds. <clears throat> but unless... The goal is the righteousness of God, then it's still not good. And that's why Isaiah says that our good deeds, our good works, are like filthy rags, unacceptable to God, whatever we do. <clears throat> okay, so we'll go from the, that's the universality of sin, and so we go to the manifestation of sin. 
the manifestation of sin. How does it look like? What, did, what does this thing look like? How does it manifest itself? How does this sinfulness manifest itself? Well, verse 13 tells us. It says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to, to deceive. The venom, the venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curse, curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Someone said, someone said, your life is often like a tooth of toothpaste. When you squeeze it, whatever is inside, it will come out, right? That's how, that's how we all are. <clears throat> and now the question that we, the question is, the question is this to us, how, how do we respond, or how do I respond when I'm squeezed, squeezed, not, not squeezed, squeezed? How do I respond when I'm squeezed? How do I respond not when people are looking at me, not when someone is looking at me? How do I respond where people are, are, are looking? Not, not that. Or how do I respond when I'm squeezed, when I'm under pressure? Because that tells the story, right? That tells the story. Now listen, and this is how it comes out. Speech, speech, because that's what he's telling us there. Speech is the principal means by which we make ourselves known to others. It's how we, we express our character to the outside world. It's how we, we let others know what we, are li what we like, what we want, what we value. And we could say that our speech is the very real sense of who we are. Right? And it is. And it is. And that's the reason why Paul starts with our speech. Because that's how we express our sinfulness. That's how we express our sinfulness. Verses 13 and 14 say, The throat is an open grave. <clears throat> they use their... <clears throat> Excuse me. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asses under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses. And here the Apostle Paul is quoting from the, uh, from the Old Testament. If you look at Psalms 5.9, Jeremy 5.16, Psalm 103.4, Psalm 10.7, they all say the same thing. It gives us the same picture. Gives us the same picture. And bro brothers and sisters, th this implication is just powerful. It's powerful. <clears throat> Hear what an old theologian said about these verses in, in his commentary. It is further added, their throat is an open grave. This is a gulf to swallow up men. It is more than if he had said that they were devourers or man-eaters. For it is an intimation of extreme barbarity when the throat is said to be a great gulf that is sufficient to swallow down and devour man whole and entire. Now, you notice the, 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 the word picture here. It's so interesting. Your throat is an open grave. You open up your mouth. You open up your mouth, and you, not, you don't only kill people. You not only destroy people, but you devour them. You devour them. You use your words. You use your words that way towards others. Speech reveal, reveals the heart. It, it does. Look what the Lord tells us. Luke 6.45. The good person out of his good treasure of, of the heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure 
produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen. You want to know whether a man is sinful? Just listen to his words. Just listen to his words. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgressions are not lacking. Our speech, our speech tells a story. Our words gives us away. Our words gives us away. And brothers and sisters, every word matters. You hear that? Every word matters. Sometimes we say, oh, it's just, they're just words. They're just words. What does it matter? Words. Now listen to what our Lord tells us. Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. You hear that? On the day of judgment, we will give account of every word we speak. Are you thinking about your words? Are you thinking about your words? Things that you have said? <clears throat> you know, the word, the word of God tells us that words defile. Words defile. In Matthew 15, our Lord makes it so very clear. It is not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what goes out of the man that defiles. Right? And that's talking about the fact. That's talking, if you look at that passage, it's talking about the fact that when we eat or drink, we, it gets eliminated out of the body. But oh, the words that come out of the mouth is what defiles. It's what defiles. Words, words will bring about judgment. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, you see, you see, start, who is angry, angry with his brother, starts with the heart. It starts with the heart. Why it starts out of the heart? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So it starts with the heart. <clears throat> it starts with a speech with the heart. And it says, uh, it says, you're angry with your brother, you will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will, will be liable to the fire of hell. That's interesting. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire, to the fire of hell. You see, uh, you see what the Lord is telling us here? Our thing is that we think, we think of sin in the terms of the end result. You see? And so we say, we say, I have not murdered anyone, so I'm not a murderer. Right? We could say that, right? I'm not a murderer because I haven't murdered anyone. But you know what the Lord is telling us? Back the truck up a little bit. Wait, thank you, sister. You haven't killed anyone. You haven't killed anyone, but have you hated anyone in your heart so bad that if words, that if words were spoken and the, and the intent of your heart would just come out, would be just followed, your hands would be around the neck of that person, squeezing the life out of them. Have you been in that moment? of heat and anger, when you spoke in words that could kill, your throat is an open grave. Your throat is an open grave. And that's the meaning of that phrase. That's the meaning of that term. Have you ever spoken words that you wish you could catch them before they got to the ears of the other person? 
Have you ever said something and thought, I know I have. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I said that. I cannot believe those words came out of my mouth. Have you ever destroyed something or someone with your words? Or have you ever thought to yourself, I want to say the most devastating thing that I can. And then once you have said that devastating thing, you've seen do his work on the heart of the other person. And it's interesting. It's interesting. Because before, before it comes out of the mouth, we're thinking, right? We're thinking, this is going to feel good. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. This is going to be good. And then something like that is spoken. And before it hits the ears of the other person, the words are out. And right then, already as the words are going out, the regret begins to build up. But the words are already out. And then that regret begins to build up. And then the words strike and they do their dirty business. And you see the devastation all over that, that person's face, right? And then instead of you feeling, oh, that, 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 that was good, you feel triumphant. We tend to crumble because you see the devastation that those words has, have caused in that person's life. Words matter. Words matter. When I was young, I worked in a steel mill. When I was young, I worked on, on a steel mill, and I had a foreman that he was, was kind of nasty, the, the, the foreman. And everybody talked about him. And everybody talked about and we all talked about him. All of us talked about him. But he had this saying, sticks and stones, have you heard that? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well... Bones can heal a lot faster. Bones can heal a lot faster than the damage done by words. Amen? Amen. Yes. Words have ended friendships. Words have ended marriages. Words have given rise to murder, to wars, to genocide. And it's a matter of fact, listen to this, it's a matter of fact, if you notice, that even when, when we have these wars, when, when men go to war where Men go to war with other people, with other, uh, with other groups of, of people. They always, they always give them another name. Notice that? They always give them another name. Every time we go to war with somebody, they give them another name. And they do that because they want to dehumanize them. Because in order to kill, they have to dehumanize first. They have to dehumanize first. <clears throat> and this is what our words do. This is the manifestation of sin uh, that is in, in, in our heart. And, and, and yes, all of us are sinful. All of us are sinful, brothers and sisters. And if you want evidence, all you have to do is examine your words. Examine your own words. Right? We all have spoken in that manner. And we could see the sinfulness in us. Okay. Let's move fast. From the heart to the lips... 
From the heart to the lips to the life. Look at the, look at the next part of the, uh, of the text, uh, verses 15 through 18. <clears throat> 15 to 18, he says this. Uh, their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are, in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And Paul here, again, he's quoting from Proverbs 1.16, Isaiah 59.7, and Psalm 36.1, right? And now, uh, uh, keep that passage in mind, what we just read, and, and, and listen to what Psalm 1 says. It's interesting. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of, of, of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he, med he meditates day and night. Do you see that? You see the same thing? Walk, stand, sit, delight in the, in the, in the law of God. Now listen, Paul again here, uh, listen to Paul. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruined to misery. in misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's almost like almost exact same thing as the, uh, the that walking and, and path and, and uh, way. It, so it's the same idea. And the idea is the way you live your life, the way of life, the way you, you, you live your life, the life you live. Paul is not talking about certain things that people do. He's talking about things that people are characterized by. That's how people live. Violence, misery, strife, arrogance, a lack of fear of God. So sin is in the heart of every man, and every man is guilty, and it manifests, manifests itself through the words that we speak, and not just through the words that we speak, but also through the life that we live. Listen to what First uh, John 3, 4 says, and I didn't write it down, so I have to go look for it. First John. <clears throat> First John 3, 4. Everyone who makes practice of sinning also practice law, practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going over. That's number five. You see it? So the idea is, is walking, is continue, that continual walking. It's a pattern of life. It's a pattern of life. And that's what sin does. We are sinful in our hearts. We express our sinfulness through our mouth. And ultimately, ultimately, we manifest our sinfulness in the way we live. In the way we live. And hear this. And, and this, is a, 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 this is every human being is that way. With no exceptions. Everyone is that way. And this is what we need to understand in order to understand the message of the gospel. We need to understand this. That every man is a sinner. And if we don't understand this, then we turn the gospel. If we don't understand this about sin, we turn the gospel into something less than what it really is. And then all of a sudden, the gospel is just, I want better. I want a better life. I need a better life. I need a better marriage. I need to be a better parent. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better wife, son, daughter, brother. I need a better job. I need more. Jesus Christ, give me more. Give me better. And we make the gospel that way. 
So we don't understand the gospel until we understand that our heart is deceitfully wicked, that we fail the righteousness test, that, you, that, that our words are wicked because they come out of our, an unrighteous heart, that your de deeds are wicked because they're the man manifestation of your sinfulness. We need to know that. And it's only then that you understand how desperately, when we know that, that's only then that we need how desperately, how desperately we need Christ and what we need him for and what we need him for. Luke 24, Jesus puts, puts his work this way. This is what he's walking in the road of Emmaus. Help me out. Emmaus? Emmaus. That's a tongue twister for me. Emmaus. Okay. Verses 45 and 46. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. What is proclaimed? For repentance and forgiveness of sin. You see that? Repentance and forgiveness of sin. That's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. The gospel message is the person and work of Jesus Christ to do away with sin. His active obedience, allowing him to impute his righteousness on us. His passive obedience, allowing our sinfulness to be imputed in him, to him in his death on the, on the cross. Repentance, turning from sin and turning to Christ so that we might find forgiveness so back to our text. So we, we, we got to hurry. I'm, I'm done. But back to our text. Verse 19. Let's read, let's read the, the rest of the story. Because this, this is beautiful. 19 to, 19 to 26. And we will end right here. <clears throat> now we know. That whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works, all of the law, no, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witnesses to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who believe, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, there he goes, that, that precious word, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because, his di divine, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier and the one who has faith, of the one who has faith in Jesus. That is the good news. That is the great news. The, we have failed the righteousness test. We have failed the seeking of God test. We have failed the understanding test. We have failed the good works test. We could fall all of those and we still get to heaven as long as we don't fail the last test. And that is to put your faith on Christ, the author of our salvation. 
So we could fail all those tests first. As long as we don't fail the last test. As long as we don't fail the last test. Because that is the important one. And as you could see, that is the importance of knowing what sin is and what it ourselves. What are we safe from? What are we safe from? And when you understand sin, and when you understand sin and you understand the glory of salvation, you understand the glory of salvation. Because it is that glory of salvation that gives us peace. You know that, right? We, are, we were all enemies of God. We were all enemies of God. But Christ was that bridge that brought us together. And we put our faith in Christ. We're still sinners. Uh, we, we could have gone a little bit further into that, but Paul was talking about Jews and Greeks, right? But as Paul starts this section, he's talking to the church. And that's why I said all of us, because we all are included in this. We all are sinners. We all are sinners. But putting our trust and faith on our Lord Jesus Christ brings about peace to us through him, through his sacrifice. And we are blessed. But we have to know what we are saved from, and that is sin. That is sin. And I thought I would bring this message because next week I'm, uh, I'm going to go in another direction. I'm going to go in another direction. But I thought, okay, if I'm going to talk, and I'm going to give you the title of the message, God at War. God at war. Because there's a reason that God is at war. There is a reason that God is at war. So let's bow. Let's bow your heads. Let's pray. Oh, blessed Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that precious sacrifice you've done for us. And for that great salvation, that awesome salvation you, you've given us through Christ. Sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we don't acknowledge it. And sometimes we see our sin just as a matter of fact. Help us not to look at it that way. Help us to see our sin for what it really is. Help us to understand the depth, the height, the width of what the salvation is to us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.